0: Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life in excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Hello guys and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast. This is Pastor Eric. Thank you for listening today. Today on our podcast we are uh, continuing um, to explore the scriptures together. And uh, what I want to do today is uh, give you guys some tools as you begin to read the scripture. Last week, I introduced a simple way to read scripture, uh, which was to read it over one or two years, um, to read it again and again and again over a lifetime. Uh, I posted a Bible reading plan um, that I tried to utilize, although I'm not as faithful as maybe I should be. Um, so you guys can use that to read the Bible over one or two two years. And now we're going to get uh, into what the Bible is and how we can um, learn to read it effectively. So today um, we're going to have uh, some of those conversations. First of all, I want to um, address a question that many people have, which is, uh, what is the scriptures? What are they? Um, It's a big book, and I don't know if you you have one laying around, but my Bible that I have right in front of me has something like 1,200 pages, which is a long book. That is a very, very long book, and uh, that scares us lots of times. And oftentimes, our Bibles are also um, uh, double columns, so the print is small, and uh, and they, they're just really dense, really thick uh, uh, books. And so what I want to do is I want to begin to deconstruct a little bit um, the Bible that you probably have on the shelf to make it a little bit more manageable, a little bit easier. And as you begin to read through the Scriptures, um, hopefully using the reading plan I provided, uh, this will begin to unlock some of what you're seeing and what you're reading. So the first thing that we need to wrestle with is um, fundamentally what Scripture is, is it's literature. Scripture is, um, it's not a textbook. It is not um, a newspaper. Um, it is not a, those sorts of technical, uh, not a manual, nothing like that. Um, it is It is a, a series of high literature, very, very, carefully constructed, thought out uh, pieces of literature. And um, God, for whatever reason, has decided um, in his wisdom to use human language, uh, specifically for the scriptures, the Hebrew language and the Greek language. And he decided to use human literature to speak about himself, to tell us about himself, and to do his work to us and uh, this is scandalous. Um, it's, it's strange, and I wish that God would not have done this. Um, I wish that He would have been more precise. I wish that they that we would have more answers than we do. Um, but at the end of the day, He's chosen to use language, He's chosen to use um, literature to make Himself known. And uh, Eugene Peterson was a pastor and uh, and a writer, and he said, um, language is very imprecise. Um, and if, if God was concerned about precision, then he would use math to tell us about himself. But you can't say, I love you with algebra. Uh, and so what God is trying to do here is he's trying to speak to us relationally. It's not necessarily about um, communicating to us uh, precision about facts and figures, um, but is actually drawing us into relationship with him. God is hidden behind the obscurity. Of literature he's hidden behind the obscurity of language um, and as you know language changes um, and language is complicated and so we hit um, hard uh, we run into hard things uh, with interpreting the Bible because it is given to us in particular languages at particular times and uses particular modes of literature and types of literature to to tell us um, about God for God to tell us about himself uh, so the Bible includes, Poems. It includes stories. It includes uh, little proverbs, it includes law codes. It includes parables. It includes letters. It includes apocalyptic literature. It has this huge breadth of of literature that it is uh, that is being used to communicate God's action to humans uh, through Israel, specifically and then through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And that gives us, leads us to the next part, which is the Bible is actually in two main parts. Um, there are uh, two sections of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament and what we call the New Testament. What we call the Old Testament, um, I like to use the term Hebrew Bible. It's written in Hebrew. Um, and for Jesus and the early Christians, it was simply the scriptures. It was the Bible that they had. Um, when, as the letters were being written, um, they hadn't formulated the New Testament yet, um, they respected the apostolic writers. And in fact, Peter actually, he says that um, Paul's letters are scripture as well. Um, so they know they had some idea, some understanding of inspiration. Um, we don't know exactly what that looked like. Uh, but I like the term Hebrew Bible for the Old Testament. And there are, um, there are 39 books in the Old Testament. Um, and it, it is much, much, much longer than the New Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament, but they're much smaller um, so the old Testament, the Hebrew Bible dominates the scripture and it actually provides us, um, with tons and tons and tons of good proclamation and information about God and how he operates and also about Jesus. It, it points to Jesus. So we have the the Hebrew Bible, um, and then we also have the new Testament and I like to use the term apostolic writings, uh, Greek apostolic writings. And, uh, this is the, the new Testament, the apostolic writings are really, um, they are written in response to an event that happened. And that event was Jesus. And so the apostles and those around the apostles were writing um, about this Jesus event that changed the world. Uh, Not only for them, but it it changed the cosmos. It changed how they operated um, in the world and how the world operated itself. And so they began writing um, and they began uh, articulating the stories of Jesus. And those eventually uh, were compiled as the gospels. Um, They uh, wrote letters, especially Paul wrote tons of letters to the churches, to these Jesus communities, and those became the letters. Um, There are histories in the uh, New Testament, like the book of Acts. Um, And then there's also a very kind of prophetic, uh, what we call apocalyptic literature in the, the book of Revelation, and that's a particular kind of literature it um, has a particular purpose not only in um, the Old Testament, but also are the Hebrew Bible, but also in the Apostolic writings, and and the apostles were really meditating on and thinking about um, the Hebrew Bible as they were constructing and 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 putting together um, this literature that they were um, they were writing at the time about about this experience they had uh, with Jesus, and so really we cannot understand the full. The fullness and the breadth of uh, the the apostolic writings, the New Testament, unless we understand the Hebrew Bible, because I, I like to say that the New Testament is really just a long meditation on the Old Testament. You you can understand the basic story, you can understand the basic teachings, you can understand um, who Jesus is. You can you can get all the basics uh, without the Hebrew Bible just by reading the New Testament, but um, the the influence and uh, the fullness of the New Testament cannot be understood completely unless we understand um, the Hebrew Bible and what these uh, apostolic writers were really referencing, what they were alluding to, how they understood Jesus was really anchored in the stories and the prophecies um, of the Hebrew Bible. So the two really go together um, and they're really bedfellows. We can't separate them. Uh, We recognize them all as scripture. We recognize them all as the word of God um, and and God's word to us uh, and him revealing himself to us through this literature. So there's a huge selection of um, literature that we can read through. And uh, one of the things that we need to understand as we enter into the scripture is what kind of literature we're reading and uh, what it means for us. So um, the, the nice thing is that lots of times our uh, translators, actually they edit and compile um, the, the, their translations, uh, the stories and the poems in ways that help you understand it's a poem or a story. Um, so one of the ways they do that is that they construct when something is, is a poem, they actually construct it like a poem. So you have the indentations, you have that, um, uh, you have that structure that makes it feel more like poetry. And when it's um like a like a history or a story they have it uh, more just like block paragraphs so uh the the most important thing you can do is uh find a good translation to read of the bible and there are lots of good translations most of them are are just fine there are a few that i would probably stay away from um but any of the major translations you're going to be okay you're going to be okay getting uh, the new revised standard version or the new international version the New Living Translation. The one that I like to read um, is called the Common English Bible. It's a smaller translation, um, not as popular, but I think that they do a fantastic job of threading the needle between readability and also um, really good, uh, like scholarly work on it. And I think that they nail down some of the important words, phrases, some of the ideas. Uh, they really show uh, the the continuation of ideas throughout the the whole Old Testament and into the New Testament. Um, so if you want to, I, I'm gonna leave a link to the Common English Bible um, in the uh, description of this show so you can look at that. Um, but I would encourage you uh, just get a good translation, um, whatever you can find is probably good enough. So especially the, you'll find a lot of new international version, the NIV, that's fine. You can go ahead and get it. Uh, The New Revised Standard, that's fine. You can go ahead and get it. The New Living Translation, that's fine. You can go ahead and get it. Um, But I read the the Common English Bible. That's my favorite. So I'm going to leave a link with that down below. And a couple other tools that you can get as you begin to read the Bible is uh, when you buy a Bible, um, you will have the option of getting uh, just the Bible with the text, just simply the text itself, or you can get what's called a study Bible. And study Bibles have the text of scripture, and then also have notes from various scholars um, for you to help you to help you understand what you're reading. Lots of times they'll have introductions to the books um, in there. So you can read about a book before you begin to jump in and, and read it. You can look at an outline of the book, timelines, those sorts of things. Um, one of the best study Bibles I have found is the Common English Bible Study Bible. It's a little bit expensive, um, but it has lots of good information. I will leave a link to that in the, in the description. If you're looking for a more um, traditional, uh, rooted in more of a Lutheran tradition, um, the Lutheran Study Bible is uh, is a good one too, and that's in the English Standard Version, which is a fine translation. Um, I want to leave a link for that as well. That's another pretty pricey. Most of the study Bibles you're going to get are kind of pricey, um, but but they're good, uh, they're good resources. So um, as you look for study Bibles, um, a couple that you might want to think about looking at, the Common English Study Bible, the Lutheran Study Bible um, in the ESB. Uh, Concordia used to print a self-study Bible um, that was in the NIV. That's another good study Bible. So if you can find one of those, you can get your hands on one of those. That's another option, the Concordia Self-study Bible, um, or getting the NIV study Bible, um, any of those you're going to be you're going to be doing all right. So if you can find a study Bible in your favorite translation, um, that if you have the resources to purchase it, um, that's a good resource as well. Uh, the last thing that you may want to think about as you begin to read the Bible, another resource, another tool that you can use um, as you read the Bible is a commentary. And commentaries are, uh, uh, collections of essays either by one scholar or multiple scholars um, that give commentary to the biblical story um, and, and give commentary to the biblical passages. Um, so that's nice so that when you read through a passage, if you don't understand what you're reading, you can go to a commentary and they'll kind of break it down for you and help you understand what's going on. They'll give you the historical context, um, other important things that you might need to know to help you understand what's happening. In that, uh, in that particular story, that particular poem, those sorts of things. I would encourage you guys, um, if you want to dig deeper um, and you want to do some reading outside of the Bible as well, to get a commentary. Uh, the best commentary that's in one um, volume, so, sometimes you can get commentaries that are in several volumes, um, and those get very, very expensive very fast. Um, but the one that I found that I think is best, um, just single-volume commentary, Um is the NIV compact commentary. And I'm going to leave a link in the description below in the description, um, of this podcast, uh, because the NIV compact commentary is the whole scripture. It's, it's all the Bible. Um, and it just is broken down into big sections and, um, the scholars just simply tell you what's happening or tell you what's going on in that particular section of scripture. Um, so it's a super helpful, um, tool to have and it's small so if you carry your bible around in your backpack or your purse or whatever um or in your car the the compact commentary can just go right with it because it's not very big the print's kind of small um but it's a worthwhile worthwhile tool um so get a good translation new international version new living translation english standard version new revised standard version common english bible any of those translations will be fine the major translations will be fine um, if you want to f- get a study Bible in one of those translations, they'll all be okay. Um, and then, uh, or you can get a commentary, um, which might be a cheaper option is to buy a Bible and buy the NIV compact commentary. Um, and there will be links to those in the description, uh, for Amazon and you can purchase those on Amazon for pretty cheap. So those are some of the tools that you can get to, to help you read the Bible, Um, hopefully I deconstructed the Bible well enough for you a little bit that there's two major sections, the Hebrew Bible, the Greek um, apostolic writings. Um, They have various types of literature in those things. So knowing what literature you are reading is important as you begin to read. And one of the tools to help you understand the scripture is to uh, get study Bibles, get good translations, um, get study Bibles in those translations, or um, get, get a Commentary, a single-volume commentary that can help walk you through um, all the scriptures together. So, those are a couple of tools to help you guys get started um, as you begin to read the Bible. All right, the next thing that I wanted to do um, in this episode uh, was to give you guys um, a good context for as uh, for you as you begin to read the Bible. Um, I encourage uh, reading through the Bible from roughly from beginning to end, uh, broken up a little bit, rearranged a little bit uh, just for simplicity's sake um, and for logic's sake Um, because the Bible is not set up um, in in a way to be read uh, front to back. It's set up by uh, literary style Um, Because again, it's a library, it's a collection of books. So they set them up, they organize them by literary style, not necessarily um, chronologically or um, not necessarily theologically. So um, some things right next to each other do go together, sometimes they don't. Um, So I wanted just to give you guys um, an overview of the story of the Bible um, to help you as you begin to read, kind of keep your focus on what the big picture is. Um, so I'm going to lay out the story for you. Hopefully you guys can um, get a grasp on the story, kind of memorize the big picture. And that way, as you're reading through the scriptures, you can have some clues, some ideas. Um, you can have some clue about where we are in the story, what's going on and where the story is headed. So the first thing that we need to know about the Bible is that the Bible tells one big story. It does not tell a story the way that we would tell a story. It does not tell the story from beginning to end. It does not give you all the details of the story. It does not give you, um, it does not give you even all the chronological events, and it does not give you the events in chronological fashion. Um, But it is one big story telling us about God and about his work Um, on earth and in humans. So just for some context, the very first book of the Bible begins with in the beginning, God created. It starts off. The whole scripture starts off with in the beginning and then scripture ends a close. One of the very last things that scripture says in revelation 21 is this, and this is Jesus speaking. Then he said to me, all is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will freely give water from the life-giving spring. And those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God and they will be my sons and daughters. So the story starts in the beginning and the story ends. All is done. Jesus saying, all is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All who are thirsty and come to me will be given life giving water. So we have a story here, a story that starts with the creation of the world and the story that ends with the completion of the world. and um, and in between it gets really, really messy. And so the story starts off um, Genesis 1 Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Um, it starts off Genesis one with the story of a god who, creates a beautiful world out of chaos there's there it's chaotic it's dark it's dangerous and takes he takes the chaos and he constructs order and he constructs goodness out of it he creates a garden he plants a garden and then he puts humans in the garden and he charges the humans the humans are kind of the crown of his creation and he charges the humans with uh the role as his ambassadors to the world they are called to continue his work of organizing and building and unleashing the potential of the world um, and making it better, Uh, continuing to help it grow, to continue to organize it, to continue um, to do God's work of taking chaos and making order and making things grow and flourish. That's God's original intent, is that humans be his partners, that humans be his ambassadors, and that they work on the world and they unlock all the potential of the good created Order. They're made in God's image. They're made to be his partners, and humanity is the crowning achievement of God's creation. But the humans rebel because they decide not to trust God and instead they trust in themselves. So they eat of what's called the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They want to decide for themselves what's good and what's evil, they want to decide for themselves what's right. And what's wrong? So they take the fruit, they eat the fruit, and so that they can know what's right and wrong, and they can make that decision for themselves. They want to trust themselves instead of trusting in God, and this leads to them um, becoming shameful and distrusting of each other. Where once they were naked and they weren't ashamed, uh, now they're hiding from each other. They're trying to protect themselves from each other, um, and they're also hiding from God. So where there was once trust and openness. Now there's a uh, uh, disagreement. There's now um, uh, eventually what becomes violence, but there's dispute between people. There's distrust between people. They're scheming against each other. And this rebellion against God spirals into a mess. It spirals into violence through Cain, killing his brother Abel. It spirals into violence. Uh, Cain's One of Cain's descendants, Lamech, um, is this horribly violent human who begins to abuse um People and abuse women, and he takes on two wives instead of just having one. um, There it leads to more and more violence, and ultimately, this violence and this distrust and this scheming leads to what's called the Tower of Babylon. And many of you maybe know it as the Tower of Babel, but in Hebrew, the word Babel um, and Babylon are the same, so it's the Tower of Babylon, and it's this tower that the people create because they're trying to reach up to heaven. They're going to make a name for themselves. They're going to make themselves known. So they work together to build a tower up to heaven instead of knowing God and letting him come to himself. And so God scatters the humans. He sends them, he confuses their language and sends them all out of the, all over the world. And out of this confusion, out of this scattering, God chooses one particular person and he makes a promise to this person. This person is Abraham. And he makes a promise to this person, and he promises that he will bring redemption. He will bring a blessing to the whole world through Abraham and his family. And so this begins the story of God's relationship with what we call Israel, with the Hebrews. And so God makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to bring blessing through him. He's going to protect him. He's going to be his God, and, and Abraham's family is going to be his people, God's people, and and so then they begin this relationship, and it all stems from this promise that God has made to Abraham. I will bless the whole world through you. This family is given a promise. This eventually leads to God rescuing this family out of slavery, giving them um, what we now call the Ten Commandments and also the whole law of the Old Testament, And um, God says, I'm making you a promise. I'm going to bless you. You're going to bless all the nations from you. Uh, Will come redemption to the whole world. Um, But you need to be different from your neighbors. And so God gives them the law code so that they can be different from their neighbors, that they can be his people. And this family uh, continues over millennia to break the promises, to break the rules, to break the agreement that they made with God. They continue to trust in themselves, just like Adam and Eve did. And they start, they begin to trust in other gods that aren't God. Um, They begin to trust in idols and in spirits and in uh, their own flesh and these sorts of things. And this leads to all sorts of problems and troubles for the Israelites because they are unable to follow God the way that he wants them to. They're unable to be his people because they continue to put their trust and their hope in things that are not God. And during this time, all these several, you know, couple thousand years of this uh, breaking God's promises, there are these individuals called prophets. And these prophets are kind of like watchdogs of the promises. They are, they're calling the Israelites, they're calling the Hebrews um, to turn away from their distrust in God and their trust in themselves and turn to begin to trust in God again. They're calling people to account for breaking the rules and so that's what the old the, the Hebrew Bible is filled with these prophetic messages, these sermons, these proclamations that God is speaking through these prophets who are trying to uh, get the people back on track to trusting in God and following his way. But there's just this continual rebellion. And in the Old Testament, there are really no true heroes. There are no really good people in the Hebrew Bible. Everyone from Abraham To Ezra and Nehemiah, the whole story is filled with people who don't get it right. So, all the heroes that we tend to celebrate are actually the very people who get it wrong. Abraham gets it wrong. Um, David gets it very wrong. Solomon gets it wrong. Ezra and Nehemiah get it wrong. You get to the end of the Hebrew Bible and you just realize that humans are full, even God's chosen people are full of rebellion. And they are just. Unable to to do what God wants them to do. They are unable to do what God needs them to do. They're unable to put their trust in God. And in fact, some of the prophets, as uh, they're realizing this, God is speaking through the prophets, and God says, Here's the deal: you can't do it, so I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take the heart out, the heart of stone out of you, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. He tells them that he's going to give them his spirit so that his animating force, the, the, the living thing inside of God, can live inside of his people. He says, you can't do it. You are not able to do it. So I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to recreate you, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so you get to the end of the Hebrew Bible, and you just think, we need help. We can't do this. Humans are unable to live as God needs them to. And so then along comes Jesus, who is this new kind of Israelite. He's from the kings, he's from the line of David. He is, um, and he, he somehow is different from all these humans that we've been reading about in the Hebrew Bible. He's able to teach with authority. Everywhere he goes, people are being healed and people are being transformed. There's so much goodness, and life, and joy, and peace emanating from him, um, that we think maybe this is him. Maybe this is the person who will bring blessing to the whole world. Maybe this is the Redeemer. And in fact, he is. We hear through the Gospels that he is God's actual son, that it is um, through the Holy Spirit that Mary became pregnant. And uh, so Jesus is God himself come down to earth in order to do what humans are unable to do. And so Jesus led the perfect life. He walked in perfect obedience to God. He uh, walked in perfect love and he was killed despite this. He was taken over by the very violence and scheming and disagreement and dissension that marked Genesis 1 through 11, that marked the, the rebellion against God. But Jesus continued to have faith and continued to trust in God despite this. He was overtaken by the violence of the world. But then he was resurrected from the dead. And he actually defeated the violence of the world. He defeated death. And he gave us a new way to be human. And Jesus left. Uh, He ascended into heaven to be with the Father. And then he gave the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And the Holy Spirit came into the disciples and he recreated. He did, God did the thing that he promised through the prophets. He made new types of humans. And he filled them with his Holy Spirit. So the disciples were made new. They were given new hearts and they were filled by the Holy Spirit. And then they began to uh, preach and teach and they began to organize themselves in new communities of these people that through the good news of Jesus Christ, through the proclamation of the good news, new, these new creatures, these new humans were gathering together and they were creating new communities and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were healing. They were being healed. They were um, experiencing the peace and the joy that God had. Um, But of course, because of the sinful nature still in our flesh, um, the issues arose. And so the apostles, after uh, spending years reading and meditating on the Hebrew Bible and realizing that Jesus was this person um, who he claimed to be, and, and that and that through this like faith, through this trusting in Jesus' work, people were being made new and giving, getting the Holy Spirit, they began to write letters to the churches to tell the churches um, about this good news to help the churches reinterpret and interpret the Hebrew Bible and also know um, how to behave and how to act in this new reality that they had, that they were new creatures filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we get in the New Testament is these writings, these letters, these prophecies about being these new creatures in Christ. And then the scriptures end in Revelation. And we hear about Jesus proclaiming, we hear about the new heaven, the new earth that's coming. We hear Jesus proclaiming, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Whoever comes to me and is thirsty will be given water, an everlasting water, and they will live forever with my Father in heaven, and he's, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming back soon to do this thing of renewing the earth and renewing the heaven, casting away all the ungodly, and those who are, have faith in the promise will be redeemed, they'll be resurrected, they'll be given new bodies, and they will experience eternity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit on earth and in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth. And then the book of Revelation ends, and John... Uh, proclaims, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And so that's our cry even today. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly. God has redeemed us. He has made us new. He has given us new hearts and he has filled us with this Holy Spirit. We try to figure out um, what it means to live in Christ and what it means to live in a Jesus community now, which we call churches. And we pray continually, come Lord Jesus, um, knowing that he is the end, knowing that he is our hope, and knowing that we will look forward to a life, in eternity, um, an eternal life with Him and the Father in the new heaven, in the new earth. That's the story of the Bible. It's a pretty great story too. And what we be, what we do as we read the scriptures is we begin to unlock the depth, um, not only of God's grace to us, but we also unlock the depth of our own sin our own short, uh, shortcomings. We unlock uh, the beauty of God's promises to us. We unlock the beauty of Jesus fulfilling those promises. We, we learn more about God. We begin to be able to hear God more in our own life. Uh, we begin to learn his language. We begin to learn how he works and how he operates. And we can better know him and better love him and serve him and love and serve our neighbors as well. And so then we pray, come Lord Jesus, knowing that Jesus is coming quickly and he's coming for us to give us new bodies, to give us a new heaven and a new earth. Well, guys, I hope that these tools help you. I hope that learning the story, hearing the story from beginning to end, guys, I hope that you can memorize um, the big picture of the Bible, um, that you can know it as you um, are reading the Bible and reading some of the particulars. Uh, Find a good translation, um, find a good study Bible or commentary if you want, and dig in. Um, Spend a lifetime hearing the Bible, studying the Bible, spend a lifetime hearing from God and hearing His Word, Um, and you'll hear Him even outside of Scripture. You'll be given the Holy Spirit, and you'll be able to know how God operates in your life. You will be uh, drawn up into the life of Christ. You will be transformed by it, by the proclamation of His Word, Um, and you will never be the same. So God bless you guys. Um, Read the Bible, read it faithfully, and enjoy God forever. We'll see you next time.